Miss Shaw here. Over the next couple of weeks, we will be releasing some history podcasts to help develop your learning. The series will cover crime and punishment. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to your favourite teacher. Today, we'll be focusing in on law enforcement and punishments in the period 1500 to 1750 tracking the things that remain consistent, or in other words, continuities, with the previous era. That is 1000 AD to 1500 AD. And we'll also look at the things that changed, and as ever, we'll be examining the reasons behind these changes. So, let's start by taking a look at law enforcement and the things that stayed the same. Just as had been the case in the Middle Ages, people from the local community had responsibility for helping to catch criminals. For example, if someone saw a crime being committed, they would have been expected to raise the hue and cry, calling out and effectively creating a human police siren that would alert people that a criminal was on the loose. People were also supposed to report any crimes they saw committed to the authorities. There were, however, some new additions to law enforcement that were introduced at this time, largely as a result of the increase in population. Between 1500 and 1700, the population at least doubled, growing from around 2.5 million to over 5 million. This in turn saw the growth of big urban areas such as London and Birmingham, as well as the creation of new market towns. Therefore, relying solely on the old system of law enforcement was no longer going to be as effective, as now there were so many people that not everybody knew each other, and so it was harder to identify criminals, and communities might not be as close-knit, also, the greater number of people simply meant more opportunities for crime to be committed. Busier streets meant more opportunities for pickpocketing. There were more rich houses to steal things from, and more people who were in search of work, but who in the meantime might resort to crime in order to make ends meet. Therefore, it's in this period that we see an introduction of three new types of law enforcers. Town constables, night watchmen and thief takers. First we had town constables. These were men who were considered respectable members of the community and employed by the town's authorities. They could arrest suspects without normally needing to get a warrant from the local justice of the peace. Their duties included dealing with beggars, stopping any outbreaks of fighting and violence, collecting payments from residents for things such as road cleaning and taking serious criminals to court. Although this was an added layer of law enforcement in comparison to the Middle Ages, how effectively it was implemented could vary from town to town, with some very committed town constables and others who would contract the job out for others to do. Despite this, the introduction of town constables was definitely a change to law enforcement in this period. Second, there were the night watchmen. These were unpaid men who were expected to patrol the local area after dark looking into windows and observing that there was nothing untoward happening in the streets or inside. If they saw something criminal happening, they would sound a bell which would alert the public and also signal to the suspect that if they didn't move on, they could get themselves into trouble. Each man would have to take on this role for a period of time. Again, the effectiveness of this would depend on how committed the person on the rotor at any particular time was. However, this again was a definite change to the period before. We also have thief takers. These were men who were paid a reward for catching criminals. This was largely because town constables and watchmen were not particularly good at this. 
the most famous thief taker was a man called Jonathan Wilde. Wilde, like many other thief takers, was corrupt and would get his gang of thieves to steal from the rich and then he would recover the goods and claim a reward. He was, however, caught and eventually executed in 1725. So, you know how criminals were caught, but what happened to them once they were found guilty? Well, just as with law enforcement, we see some continuities with the Middle Ages. For example, the main purpose behind most punishments was retribution. That is, punishing someone as vengeance for a crime. And also deterrence. That is, the punishment was supposed to ensure that others would think twice before committing a similar crime in fear of punishment. Begging or drunkenness could be punished by being placed in the pillory or stocks. Again, as this was humiliating, it was supposed to act as a deterrent. Crimes such as assault or not attending church or fraud were punishable by fine, which was supposed to act as a deterrent again. Vagrancy was punishable by whipping, branding and maiming, all forms of corporal punishment, which were supposed to act as a deterrent as well, and as a means of seeking vengeance. Then there were crimes such as highway robbery, smuggling, poaching, witchcraft, treason and murder that were all punishable by death where again, the reasoning behind this was both to create a deterrent and seek retribution. However, there were also some changes during this period. For example, the introduction of transportation, an increase in the number of crimes becoming punishable by death, and also the development of prisons. Transportation was introduced as a punishment during the reign of King James, which was between the years 1603 to 1625. Transportation means sending the criminal to another country that was far from home, and in this case, they were sent to North America, which was now an English colony. Usually, convicted criminals were given a sentence of either 7 or 14 years, and once they completed the long journey over, they would be expected to carry out hard labour. This was seen by the authorities as an effective deterrent, as while there, it would not be practical or affordable for your friends or family to visit. And once set free, you would have to fund your own journey back to England, which in many cases people couldn't afford to do. It also benefited the authorities, as it meant that they didn't have to house these criminals in prison. And it also helped them bolster the English presence in North America. For others, they also felt that it gave the criminals a chance to reform themselves and establish a new life. Records show that between 50,000 and 80,000 people were transported up until 1770. These figures included men, women and children, but on the whole, it was young men who were sent as they could carry out helpful forced labour that would strengthen the infrastructure in North America for the English. Of the children sent, around one quarter were female, and just as with adults, many didn't make it as far as America, dying on board the ship as a result of harsh conditions. Prisons were also used as a form of punishment, and as we move through the period, they developed a slightly different purpose. But throughout this era, the continuity was that they were always harsh places to be. From the 16th century, prisons were places where people would be housed while they awaited trial. In this sense, they weren't intended to be the actual punishment, as until their cases were heard, inmates were presumed innocent until guilt was proved. However, for some inmates who were there because they owed debts, they were not able to leave until they'd repaid the debt. But in prison, there were no legitimate forms of employment for inmates. Therefore, they either had to remain in prison or find ways of making money. 
This could mean bribing others or charging protection money. In turn, this made conditions dangerous for other inmates. Added to this harsh reality was the fact that inmates had to pay for food and bedding themselves. Men, women and children were housed in the same areas and there were not different wings for different categories of offenders. So petty criminals shared quarters with hardened, violent offenders. And this meant that often children left at best more likely to commit even worse crimes, having been mentored by bad influences, and at worst scarred by physical and sometimes sexual abuse. As the century went on, new types of prisons emerged where inmates were forced to carry out hard labour. This was intended to act as a deterrent, provide retribution, but also to help to reform criminals by teaching them discipline and hard work. These prisons were based on the Bridewell Prison that was opened in London in 1556. And by the 1600s, other similar prisons were being opened in various places around the country. Finally, we come to a form of punishment that was both the continuity and change. This was the death penalty. The death penalty had existed for centuries before, but normally as a punishment for very serious crimes, such as murder or treason. However, in the 17th century, so many crimes became punishable by death that it became known as a bloody code. By 1688, there were at least 50 crimes that were punishable by death, including stealing a loaf of bread. The thinking behind the bloody code was that if you gave crimes a harsh punishment, then this would act as a deterrent and stop people committing them. As you've probably guessed, it was the rich in society who had influence over the law. The problem was that they misunderstood the causes of many crimes. For example, people weren't stealing loaves of bread for the thrill, they were doing it because they were desperately poor. And not through choice or laziness, as many of the rich believed. Therefore, if it was a choice of stealing food to feed your children and risking being caught, or letting them starve, most people would choose the former. This led to the situation where often people were found not guilty by juries, even though that they knew that they had actually committed the crime, because the jury felt the punishment was simply too harsh. In addition, if defendants could prove they were of good character, they could be let off or pardoned for their crime. However, this was usually easier for the wealthier in society rather than the poor. In summary, local communities still played a significant role in law enforcement, and deterrence was a major factor behind many punishments handed out to criminals. And the rich had much stronger influence over the law than the poor. I hope you're finding the Crime and Punishment podcasts useful. I'm Miss Shaw with your favourite teacher, Thanks for listening.